everyone. Welcome to Mercy Talk. I am one of your hosts, Melanie Wise. And I'm your other host, Jen Otero. Mercy Talk is presented to you by Mercy Multiplied, a nonprofit Christian organization that is committed to seeing hope restored and lives transformed through the love and power of Christ. Since 1983, Mercy has helped thousands of young women break free from life-controlling behaviors and struggles through our free-of-charge, biblically-based residential program. That's right. And Mercy's outreach activities are designed to educate, equip, and empower men and women of all ages to live free and to stay free. So on Mercy Talk, we want to tackle real-life issues and everyday struggles that affect our lives by applying the same biblically-based principles of freedom that we've seen effectively change lives for 35 years. To find out more, go to mercymultiplied.com. You can also find us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. Oh, do you know, it's such an amazing privilege to be here. I feel like we're family. Okay, so if you don't have any family in England, you do now, okay? You have family in England. So we are one big Mercy family, and there are about 18 girls in the UK who are sitting in a similar seat as you. I want to say at the same time, it's not because of the time difference, but at the same time in terms of at 10 o'clock every day, they're worshiping, then they go into class and they do the same schedule you do, uh, and they worship the same God, and the Holy Spirit can be in all places at the same time, and he is transforming their lives and their hearts and bringing healing in just the same way that he's over here. So we serve an awesome God. And uh, I, wanna, I, I do want to talk a lot about uh, the story, the, my sister, and why I got involved. But I, I actually don't feel like that's what God has laid on my heart to share this morning. So thankfully, there are books written about those things. So we've got the Love Mercy book, which I, I didn't have the foresight to send out a box, but I will do it retrospectively. So you will all get a gift in the mail when it decides to come, which is usually like a week or something. So in the next week or so, you'll all get a copy of that book. It's called Love Mercy, and it's a beautiful book. Uh, and it has the kind of the story of how I got involved in Mercy, uh, my sister Debbie's story, uh, and then it's got every sort of, you, you turn, it's like a coffee table book, I think that's been said, but like every t- page you turn, there's like the picture of the girl and then her story and what she's doing now and the, her testimony. And we've got poems and lyrics of songs that they wrote whilst they were on the program and artwork that they've done. And it's just this beautiful book. So it's going to be a real encouragement to you. By the way, the reason why Debbie ended up here was because of Mercy Moves Mountains. It was a book I gave to her after I heard Nancy speak and I handed her this book and I said, I, I, I think you need to read this. And she did, and it was 18 months after she wrote the book that she was on a plane being the first uh, resident to be accepted here onto the program from the UK. Uh, and, and the rest really is an amazing God story that I hope you'll take the time to read when the books arrive. Uh, but it's not really what I wanted to talk about this morning, just because it's been something that God's been really stirring in my heart recently. And I really believe it is for you guys this morning, because even the worship set that Jessica chose, the words, some of the songs she chose are really wrapped up in what I want to share. But let me ask you this question first. Um, how many of you know that you were saved for purpose? Good. How many are trying to work out what that purpose is? Well, let me make it really, really easy for you. Like super easy. Okay? You were saved for, we were all saved for this one purpose, 
which is to be in relationship with God the Father. Jesus Christ died on the cross. It says in, in the scriptures that, he, that the veil tore when he died. It was a symbolic of the distance between us and Father God being closed and bridged by Jesus' death and resurrection. We have access to the Father. And the purpose of our salvation is to be in relationship with him. It's how we were in the beginning in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve were in relationship with God. God. They were walking with him. They were conversing with him. They were sharing their lives with him. There was an intimacy and a precious closeness between Father God and humanity, and it was broken. And Jesus came, and I know this is a basic gospel story, but I'm using it as an introduction to what I want to talk about because I see and feel and sense that the whole that whole purpose of us being close to God is the very thing that the enemy attacks. You know, there's a separation that can still come into our lives from, uh, between us and God, even though we're saved. And even though we've accepted Jesus into our hearts and lives, there can be this sense of separation. And I wanted to talk about that a little bit today. I'm going to take you to a scripture. Ephesians 1, and I'm going to read from the Passion Translation. Have you guys got the Passion, Passion Translation going here? It's really good. Anyway, let me read this. It's uh, Ephesians 1, 2 to 3 in the Passion. It says, May God himself, the heavenly Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, release grace over you and impart total well-being into your lives. Aren't we all here because we want total well-being in our lives. I know I am, not just here at Mercy, but in our lives. We want total well-being. Everything heaven contains has already, past tense, already been lavished upon us as a love gift from our wonderful heavenly Father, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. Because of Christ, we have access to all of the Father's riches, his heavenly blessings, his sense of overflow and his provision and his love and his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness and his healing. It's all been made available to us for us to be able to access because of our relationship with Christ. And when I read that scripture, when I I'm very visual. I don't know if anyone else here is visual, but I like to picture things all the time. And so when I first read that scripture with those words and the way it describes all of heaven's riches being lavished upon us, I could see in my mind's eye this image of the ocean and how it's like the waves of the ocean just being sent towards us from heaven and us being able to access that sense of overflow. And for those of you who are not visual and you can't imagine that, I've just got a little video clip of about 30 seconds or so just to show you and remind you what it looks like and feels like to see the ocean coming towards you. And I want you to, as you're watching that video clip, there's an elephant up there at the minute, as you watch it, just imagine a wave. We don't need sound. But just look at that. Just spend a few seconds centering on him and on who he is and his love, his grace, his mercy, his healing, his forgiveness just washing towards you. 
just never ending. It doesn't run out. It's vast. His love is vast. His grace is immense. It is overflowing. Isn't it funny then how so often we can approach this ocean of his overflow, this ocean of his abundance with something like this? A teeny, tiny teaspoon. We can tiptoe towards the ocean of God's love and his forgiveness and kind of sneak a little bit and run away and think, just, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry. I know I came yesterday, but I just, I just need a little bit more. I just, I, I hope you don't mind. And we can imagine God to be like the character in Oliver, which is a very English example. Anyone know Oliver? where he goes and with his bowl and he asks for more. And the man turns around and says, more? Sounds better with my English accent, doesn't it? More? You dare ask for more? And we somehow can get to a place in our minds where we expect God to have that kind of response to our ask, the little teaspoon ask of something we might need from him, something we might desire, something that we just, just a little bit more, God. We can be so good at, at giving to him. We can approach him and, and we sing songs that say, I give you my life, I give you my all, I give you my heart, I give you my soul. I give, well, that even rhymed. I could be a songwriter. And, they, and, 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 we, and we stand before him and we pour ourselves out and we give and we give and we give and we do and we sing and we pray and we just constantly have this, I give you everything. But sometimes we forget that if we keep doing that, we're going to end up empty. We have to be just at, as good as at doing this. And going, I receive, I receive, I receive your wave of healing, of your wave of love, your wave of forgiveness. I receive it. I remember a time in my life when I was giving and giving and giving. And in that season, I was feeling like I was running on empty. And I was reading my Bible, which is always a good thing to do. And in John 17, 10, it says, it has the prayer that Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane when he's on his knees and he's praying for his disciples and us, as everyone to come after. And one of the things he says is he says, all I have is yours. And I remember reading that and going, wow, I pray that prayer nearly every day. All I have is yours, God. And I felt really good that I would be praying the same, very same prayer that Jesus prayed. I'm thinking that's a good thing. So I'm busy congratulating myself on being like Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit whispers to me. He's like, can you read the next line? And there's that pause, you know, when God says something and you kind of think, oh, I think there's something coming. And so I read the next line and it says, all I have is yours and, anyone know it? And all you have is mine, well done. And all you have is mine. Jesus had an understanding of the importance of that transaction. All I have is yours and all you have 
is mine. Jesus understood that he could go to the ocean and that he needed to go to the ocean and that yes, he could pour himself out, but that was to create more room to allow the Father to pour himself in. It has to be a two-way supply and demand relationship. Like I said, I was going through a really hard time at that time. And it became a key for me to understand that what I'd been doing wrong, that I'd missed that second part. And I saw, like I said, I'm really visual and I saw a picture of myself um, with a horse, a white horse. I'm very horsey, by the way. So I, God often uses horses to teach me things. And I l really love movies as well. So I tend to you know, have God speak to me through movies too. He'll use anything, by the way, to get through to you. So... Um, who has watched Lord of the Rings? Great. Who has not? Okay, you can all go. <laughs> like, Lord of the Rings is awesome. I am, and this is a secret, you know, I'll tell anybody this. I am such a Lord of the Rings geek. Like, seriously. I've read all the books. I've watched all the movies like a hundred times. I even have Lord of the Rings Middle Earth leggings, which my husband has said I'm not allowed to wear anywhere outside. So I wear them at home, and they are amazing. <laughs> I love Lord of the Rings. And one of the scenes in that film is, is what God used to speak to me about this. And it's in the first film. And for those of you who haven't seen it, even though we're not friends right now because of that, I will explain to you a little bit why it's so important to watch it. <laughs> There's a scene where... Okay, let me just tell you, it's about a ring. You know that much, right? A bad, bad ring that needs to go back to where it was made so it can be destroyed and all the evil can go from the world. That's the story. That's all we need to know for now. There's one small hero who is carrying the ring and he gets stabbed by the enemy in his heart. He's stabbed and he's dying. And there's an elven, stay with me, there's an elven princess. There is a really good point to this, I promise. There's an elven princess and she's on a horse and she's looking to rescue him. She finds him in the forest where he's dying from this wound that the enemy has stabbed him with. And she kneels in front of him and she says these words. She looks at the wound and she says, this is too much for me. I must take him to my father's house. And when she said those words, I was watching it on DVD and I just felt God said, rewind. And I rewound it and watched it again. I rewound it and watched it again. This is too much for me. I need to take him to my father. And this, for the staff in this room, was exactly where I found myself completely empty, having doing all the things I'm doing at Mercy and running on empty and hearing God say to me, the wounds that I have sent you to are too much for you. You need to take what I've given you back to me. And I saw that scene as she then picks up this wounded person and puts him on a white horse. And I felt God say to me, in your life, that horse is called grace, my grace is sufficient. It's everything. Everything that God has and is, his power, his wisdom, his provision, all of his incredible ability made available to me and to you for us to access, for us to sit on, for us to, for it to carry us. 
And I saw how I had been trying to fix the wounds around me and actually also the wounds in my own life from my own resources. And that's why I was feeling so empty. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Okay, but I wasn't receiving from him. I wasn't accessing his grace. I was going to the ocean with a teaspoon when the ocean is vast. And so I saw myself putting on the burdens on this horse called grace. And then God said to me, what's the next thing that she does? And so I watched and then she gets on the horse herself and she outruns the enemy on that horse. And God said to me, for too many years, you have run alongside my grace. You've held on to the horse and you've run and you've run and you've run and you are wearing yourself out. Because yes, sometimes you may put some of your heaviest burdens on me, but you don't get on yourself. Get on grace. Allow his grace to carry you. Allow his strength to feed you. Allow everything he is to be the thing that you have attached yourself to and accessed so it carries you through the seasons of your life the good the bad and the ugly his grace doesn't back out when things get tough if you are on his grace his grace will outmaneuver every enemy that is chasing you down right now and you all need to go watch y'all that is my favorite americanism by the way y'all like seriously I wish that we had that in England. We can't say it in England because people look at you weird when you say it. But y'all is amazing. So y'all need to watch that scene. If you don't watch the whole movie, I may forgive you, but you have to watch that scene. Because what you will see is the power of grace carrying a wound and the person who's been sent to help away from the enemy into safe territory. So you've got to watch that, okay, promise? Yes, good. Even if you don't watch it here, watch it at home. Yep, oh, see, see? I'm gonna move away from Lord of the Rings and take you to the Bible. Because <laughs> you know, we really need to be looking at the Bible. I'm gonna look at a story in the Bible that is a really famous parable that you've probably heard a million times. But I wanna look at this story a bit differently today because I've seen in this story three teaspoon asks and three ocean responses. I've seen three ways that there was approaches to the father that were teeny tiny teaspoons when the father was wanting to pour out his blessing and his provision on that situation. And it's a parable that Jesus told. And here's the thing about parables. They were not real. They were made up stories. Jesus thought of them off the top of his head and shared them as examples of, of how he wanted to communicate a principle. It means, therefore, that they weren't subject to real circumstances or real choices of people, which means that every single thing in a parable matters. It's important. Jesus specifically chose to tell that story make up that story for a reason and so I want to read it rather than just refer to it because sometimes we get so familiar with parables and stories that we hear a lot that we don't actually take the time to read them so I'm going to read and it's the prodigal son Luke 15 
And it says this, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the first teaspoon ask in that story is one that's motivated by self. It says, I want you, I don't want you, I want what you can give me. It's saying, I want Christianity with all its benefits, but none of its responsibility. It's saying, I want what you can give me, Father, eternal life and a promise of hope for the future. But right now I'm choosing to walk away and live my life as I see fit. I will have you on a back burner. It's saying, I know we're father and son and I know there's an inheritance coming, but I want what I can get right now and I will spend it as I want to. I will live my life on my terms, make choices I want to make with people I want to make them with. I will have you somewhere in the back of my mind. I know there is a relationship there, but it's not, I'm not ready for it. I'm not ready for that commitment with you, Father. I just want to go off and do it my own way. And I know many of us do that. This is not a mercy girl. This is humanity. So don't kind of think to yourself, oh, that's me, I'm a terrible person. No, 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 that is humanity. There are many, many of us who go through seasons where we want everything God can give us, but we don't really want Him. We're so focused on the benefits that we forget all He wants is to be with us. And so this teaspoon ask was a son who turned away and who created distance by saying, give me my teaspoon of my inheritance. Thank you very much. I appreciate the fact that you've given me this, that your hard work and your sacrifice, Father, have provided for me this teaspoon worth of entitled inheritance. I shall take this, thank you, and walk away right away, way, 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 way over here. And I will spend it and I will pour it out and I will do how I see fit with it. In doing that, the son actually violates something within himself. And we can see that because it says he hired himself out. He became a servant, a slave to that decision. He became a slave to the decision to take and walk away. Because in doing that, he became a servant eating with the pigs. He violated his identity as a son of the king. And we, when we do the same thing, we violate our identity as daughters of the king. When we want what God can give us, but not who he is. When we want to take and not be with him. For whatever reason. And when we get and find ourselves in that place, like the sun did, 
when he's violated his true identity as a son and becomes a servant, it leads to the second teaspoon ask. And we'll pick up the story in verse 17. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The second teaspoon ask in this story, in approach to the ocean, is motivated by shame. It is of a person who has found themselves a long way away from where they wanted to be in the presence of the Father. And it's an approach that says, I am not worthy. I don't deserve this. I shouldn't be in your presence, God. Don't you know how I have disappointed you? Haven't you seen what I did in that country far, far away? I lost everything. I spent what you gave me. I've wasted my potential. I've destroyed my future. I have given it all away and now I have nothing left and I have, feel I have no right to approach you to ask for more because it was my own silly fault that I wasted it in the first place. And shame will speak to us and will say, you cannot be a daughter, you can only be a servant. You can't approach with your head held high, standing before the throne of grace because everyone will see how much you messed up. Everyone will remember the mistakes you made. And the teaspoon of shame will only allow us to take the tiniest bit we need to just survive. And our head is down and we crawl on our hands and knees towards an ocean that we get just close enough to take what we need and then humbly take a step back with our eyes averted, not wanting Jesus to look at us and see right through us. I love with all my heart the ocean's response to that particular teaspoon that particular approach to the Father is so incredibly powerful. It never ever loses its power. You see, I always heard the story that it was the Father's love that kept him waiting for his son's return. And I understood that, you know, he was a compassionate father. And I know it's a reflection of Father's heart towards us. But I did a little bit of research, and some of you might know this, but I only discovered this a few years ago. That there's something, like I said, about the specific context of this story that matters. There's a reason why Jesus included it, because you see, in that time and in that culture, there was something called the Kazaza ritual. And the Kazaza ritual was what would happen in Jewish community should a son ever have the audacity 
to ask for his inheritance early, to walk away from his father's estate and from his family and his responsibilities, and then on top of that, spend it all in a foreign nation was so shameful, was so despicable, was such an offense to everything that Jewish culture stood for that the community had a ritual that would mean if he ever thought to come back, if that son ever found himself back on the road towards home and the community saw him, they would rush towards him and smash a pot in front of his feet and in doing so would permanently eject him out from that community. He would be rejected and ejected and never be allowed to set foot back in that space because of what he did. And this was a common practice should that ever happen. And that is why this father was watching. Yes, it was motivated by love, but it was also motivated by something else. Because the father in this story lifts up his cloak which in that culture was a shameful thing to do. It was despicable and offensive that a man of his standing, a man of his wealth, a man of his influence would embarrass himself by lifting up his skirts and running like a child through the streets. And the community would have seen him and brought shame on him because he was embarrassing himself, because he was lowering himself because he was enacting shameful behavior. And the father in running towards the son takes up and intercepts the actions of the community and the village in which they lived. And the father's action of taking on the shame upon himself intercepts the shame that should have been put and the ejection and rejection that should have been the sons. Isn't that a beautiful example? Because you see, this father approaches this son who is barefoot, who is dirty, who is ragged, who is carrying a little teaspoon, saying, I know I don't deserve this. I know I disappointed you. I know I let you down. I know I've brought shame upon you and your family and this entire community. But I, I, I just can't go on living like that anymore. Please, can I just be a servant? And instead, the, son, the father intercepts that and throws his arms around him and puts on a cloak, a covering. He covers his shame. And he puts on a ring on his finger and reinstates his authority and gives him a right to make decisions again. Even though he messed up on all the decisions before that. That ring means I can make decisions with authority because my father has said so. And then this father gets on his knees before his sons and puts on sandals on his son's feet. Because only sons wore sandals. Servants were barefoot. Shame and misunderstanding. And that whole sense of not wanting to be in the presence would have kept that son separate. The community would have rejected him. And would have had every right to do so. And yet the father's ocean response of forgiveness, of love, of grace is never ending towards each and every single one of us. I don't know where you are in those two. We've got another one to come, but I just need to tell you today that Jesus chose that story 
for that reason, to illustrate in a way that the people of the time could understand that Jesus' death and resurrection was so we could have the same approach to the Father, that the Father was intercepting the condemnation that should have been ours with his never-ending ocean of love and forgiveness. And all we have to do is accept it, is to not turn away and not run the other way, but to, and not to allow shame, that little teaspoon, to determine how much of that love we are able to receive. I know I just love God's extravagance. He doesn't just meet our needs. He's not just interested in our needs. What do you need? No, no, no. What do you want? There's a lavishness about God's response to us. You can see that in that story. Father didn't need to do that. There's a lavishness. He throws a party. He doesn't just reinstate him. He throws a party. He kills the fattened calf. He celebrates. There's a lavishness about God's love towards us. You know, many, in fact, it's not even that long ago, maybe a year ago. This is a really silly little story, but I just wanted to share it with you. I don't know why it's just come to mind. I was looking, it was probably, la it was last year, this time last year, I was thinking about Christmas, thinking about Christmas presents. And my husband always asks me, what do I want? And I never know what to say. And, um, I remember thinking at the time, I know, I think I might want a really nice pen because I always lose, the, you know, the really cheap little pens, I just lose them all the time, you know, and, and, and I steal them from other people who say, can you just do this? And I do it and I keep their pen. It's like, you know, well, that's how I get my pens. And I remember thinking if I had a really good pen, I, I might look after that. So maybe I want a really good pen. So I went online and I looked at... Um, Mont Blanc pens, which are really expensive. And when I realized how expensive they were, I was like, well, that's just a silly amount of money for a pen. So that's not gonna happen. And I put it away. I went on with my life. Then I was in church, just minding my own business. And this man who's been in church a long time came up to me after the service ended. And he said, I felt, I, I was in the meeting today and we were, we were doing the offering and I was writing my check to church and I felt God say to me that I needed to give you this and he just handed me a Mont Blanc pen and I'm like what like this is a Mont Blanc pen he's like I know I'm like they're really expensive he's like I know <laughs> but God's just told me to give it to you and I'm like oh really sorry <laughs> I said you don't know actually what this means and I felt God say to me as I was receiving it he said you think that I am only interested in your needs like I'm really used to asking God for things don't get me wrong I run mercy in the UK so you better believe I'm used to asking for things but those are the things we need and the things I can justify and they're not for me they're for the girls and they're for the ministry and they're for good things a pen like a pen a 300 pound pen like really is that necessary and here's God going you only ask me for your needs I'm interested in your wants not even the ones you pray about the ones you just thought about and randomly looked online and then discarded because you think that it was frivolous God is so much bigger 
and so much more generous. He is an ocean. The ocean doesn't care about a pen. You want a pen? It's a pen. But it was a little lesson in there for me. And this is a year ago. So I'm preaching this to myself. He is lavish in every sense of the word. He is a good God and his ocean is vast and deep and plentiful. We have got to get rid of our teaspoons. The third teaspoon ask in that story is a really interesting one. See, if the first one was motivated by self and the second one by shame, the third is kind of significant in its separation. Because the third teaspoon ask was the ask that wasn't even asked. And we find it in verse 25. Meanwhile, the oldest son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Notice he didn't ask the father. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and I never once disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even so much as a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when, his, when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And the last line of this story. And everything I have is yours. Not once did this older son approach his father with an ask. His work for the father created a separation between him and the father. He didn't go in the house. He didn't ask the father. He was busy working in the fields. This is, I will do, I will do, I will do. If the younger son is, I don't deserve, then the older son is, I do deserve. I have done everything you asked for me. I have gone to every meeting. I have been to every class. I have even raised my hands in worship. I have been to my counseling sessions. I have read devotionals in the morning. I am doing, I am doing, I am doing everything you're asking from me. I'm doing. I'm earning. I'm trying to be who you want me to be in the sun. is so desperately working out his salvation he doesn't realize that he doesn't need to. That's not the purpose of salvation, to keep earning it. It's just to be with him. This son is so busy sweating it out in the field, he hasn't taken the time to go and find the father to ask him what's, he asks another servant. And I find it interesting that when our relationship and intimacy with the father is broken, it has an impact on our horizontal relationships too. If this vertical relationship is dysfunctional, so are horizontal ones. You see, the older son doesn't say, where's my brother, what's happened? He doesn't say, this, this brother of mine, he says, this son of yours. There's a separation even between him and the younger son. This son of yours, not my brother, 
not someone who I'm in relationship or have any love or softness towards. No, no, this son of yours. And when we start earning and becoming religious in the way we outwork our faith, it causes a distance and a separation between us and the Father that affects everything. It means we start accusing others of not working hard enough and how comes they got their breakthrough and their miracle and their whatever when I've been doing all these things it's not fair every time you say it's not fair you've become the older brother because it's not fair has an air of entitlement I deserve I have worked I have done and the father in his ocean of love and response to us, eyeballs and says, everything I have is yours. Come closer to me. You don't need to do it. It's Mary and Martha all over again. Martha was an older son. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. They need doing. It's, I'm, 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 I'm short. And Mary is at his feet. Martha comes with her teaspoon and says, Jesus, tell her to get in here and help me out in the field. And Jesus says, no, no, get rid of your teaspoon, Martha. Leave it in the kitchen. Come and sit at the ocean's feet. Come and rest and bathe and be. And out of that place you can do. But that's like getting on the grace horse. You're still moving forward. You're still in your mission. You're still outworking the call of God on your life, but you're doing it in a way that's coming from a power that is not your own. His ocean is vast. You know, the point of this teaching this morning isn't for you to say, oh, I need to get rid of my teaspoon. I need to go find like a bucket. Or if you've got a bucket, to get rid of your bucket and to go, I need to find something bigger. I don't know what's bigger than a bucket. What's bigger than a bucket? A tub. I need to find a tub. I need to find something bigger to go to the ocean with. That is not the point of this. Let me tell you a little story of a friend of mine which will brilliantly illustrate the point of this. She told me of a time in her life when she was a little girl and she used to visit her grandfather every Saturday. And every Saturday she would knock on his door and he would open his front door and he would give her a pound coin, like a dollar, only worth slightly less. <laughs> and say, go to the corner shop and come back when you've bought what you want to buy. And she used to go and buy his sweets and he would candy, I guess you'd say. And, and then she would go back and visit with him. Every single Saturday morning he would do the same thing, give her a pound coin and off she went, give her a pound coin and off she went. So one Saturday, it was her birthday, and she knocked on his door, and he opened the door, and he gave her five pounds, and she was over the moon. She's like, oh my goodness, five pounds, and she runs along to the corner shop, and she spends her five pounds, and that went on, and she went back to the pound coins, and then one day, she said, and this changed her life, and I'm about to tell you so that you can learn something from it. She knocked on his door and he opened the door and he was standing fully dressed in his hat, his scarf, his gloves. It's cold in Yorkshire. And she looked at him 
And she was expecting to be given her pound coin or her five, pound coin, uh, five pounds. And instead, he takes her hand. He says, I'm going to come with you today. So they walk to the corner shop together. And she's still wondering to herself, is he going to give me 10 pounds today? Like, seriously, this has never happened before. And as they get into the shop, and she's looking at him expectantly going, Why, what is this about? He says to her, well, seeing as I'm here with you, you can have whatever you like. And so then she realized that being given something is great. But having the source of that with you means everything is available. Stop expecting God to hand you out a pound coin or a dollar or $10 or $20 or $50 or whatever it is you think you need right now. And I'm not talking about money. Get in the ocean. Take him with you. He is with you. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He will allow you to walk away like the younger son. God is that kind that it will, even though it breaks his heart, he will allow us the choice to relate to him as we see fit. But I'm here to tell you today that you can do it like that. You can live your rest of your life on a pound coin every day. Or you can choose to get rid of every teaspoon to open your heart wide, to open your mind, to open your soul and your spirit to walking with him every day. And I know sometimes that's easier in this place because God is very difficult to miss. The test comes when you're out in the world again, in your old life, in your old, with your old friends and your family and the situations that you are facing out there. But God is, does not live in mercy. The ocean isn't here. Just telling you that, okay? Just so you know. God's ocean does not live inside the four walls of a ministry called mercy. His ocean is vast. It comes from heaven itself. And whatever you face when you leave this place, he is with you. He is for you. And you can live from a place of, of that sense of intimacy with him. Not just when you're in a crisis, not just when you're feeling down, not just when you've forgotten the tools that you're learning right now, but every day. John 15 verse 7 says this, If you live in me, abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you. This means basically if we're in relationship, if, if, if you live in me, that, that means if you're getting in the ocean, if you're in that ocean, and you abide vitally united to me, and my words remain in you, and continue to live in your hearts. That is an invitation into an ocean, by the way. Ask whatever you will, and it shall be done for you. And so I have come across the ocean to tell you to get in the ocean. To say there's so much more. And whatever is stopping you from approaching the ocean of his love and his mercy and his grace, whatever, whether it's shame or whether it's guilt or whether it's, you know, a sense of wanting to do it on your own and not wanting to have to humble yourself and surrender. We don't, we love that word, surrender. He is 
all sufficient more than enough not just for your needs but for your wants to live a life to live out your purpose which is to be in relationship with him and I wondered whether Jessica could come back up because she didn't know what I was going to talk about this morning and yet the first song that she opens with is what? You call me where? Into the ocean. Wave after wave, washing over me. Do you think maybe God had a message today? Do you think maybe there's an invitation today? To just throw away your teaspoon. To just open your heart. And let's stand together. Because we're going to sing this. And this isn't just going to be the song that we sing because it's good to close in a song. If you want it to be, this song is a response from your heart to His heart. This isn't God take all of me. This isn't God I give you everything no this is okay God okay Father though I'm a little nervous I'm gonna receive I'm gonna let you pour out over me I'm gonna let the waves just you know for some of you I just need to say this because I just feel the Holy Spirit say this it's okay to be in your, up to your ankles okay don't, don't be looking left and right and going oh she's swimming in it I feel like if I do that, I'm going to drown. He is safe. And He is good. And if all you can do right now is just stand ankle deep, then just stand ankle deep. Just stay there. That's okay. For some of you, you've been standing even two steps away from the ocean. And you've had your teaspoon and every now and then you grab a bit and take two steps back again. Today, would you have the courage to just tiptoe a tiny little bit into him? And for those of you who are waist deep, for those of you who are swimming, just enjoy it. Just allow the water of his presence to cleanse you, to renew you, to strengthen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I just pray for every woman in this room, whether she's standing far away from the ocean, watching it from afar, whether she's swimming well over her head, Lord, I just ask, would you draw us closer? I pray for every heart that is fearful right now, that doesn't trust you, that is scared of drowning. Lord, I pray, would you strengthen us from within would you by your Holy Spirit speak words of encouragement would you in your sweet whisper continue to woo our hearts to draw us away from the doing and instead just enjoy being with you thank you that our healing our transformation isn't, doesn't come about by being on a program and doing what we're told to do, it comes from developing an intimate, personal, 
connection and relationship with Jesus Christ. It's in you and through you and with you we are made whole. Lord, would you continue the work you've started in each person here? The promise that you've made is that you would complete the work in us. You would carry it through to completion. Lord, I thank you that though it will take us the rest of our lives, you are committed to completing us. Thank you, Jesus. Just pray a blessing right now on each one. As we carry on and go about our day, I pray, would you make yourself known, make your presence felt in a sweet and precious way today. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you have any thoughts or questions about what we discussed, or if you'd like to share your ideas for future podcast topics, please let us know by emailing us at mercytalk at mercymultiplied.com. And if you're enjoying Mercy Talk, be sure that you go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe and to leave us a five-star review. We also want to remind you that Mercy Multiplied and Mercy Talk are funded solely by donors, and we are so thankful for the support of so many people all over the country and even the world. So please consider supporting this free programming by giving a gift at mercymultiplied.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Mercy Multiplied. Thanks for listening today, and we hope you'll join us next week.